It's so good to see each of you here and uh, rejoice and you being here. We have guests here with us today and appreciate each of you. And I uh, saw Mike and Sharon uh, Keller. Uh, it's good to see y'all here, our missionaries uh, to Utah and, and uh, reaching Mormons with the gospel of Jesus Christ and especially the university students there. And God's doing a great work through them. Good to see y'all here this morning. You slipped in on me this morning. I didn't know you were going to be here, but maybe you did let me know. And But it's so good to have you and uh, trust the Lord is meeting your needs. All right, Nehemiah is where we are continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, there in the Old Testament, if you will turn there, if you find... The book of uh, Chronicles, you just go right past First and Second Chronicles, then Ezra, then Nehemiah, there in the Old Testament. If you go on to Psalms, you've gone too far, uh, just back up, and before Job, you'll get to Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, don't think we'll finish up this chapter today, but we're going to just try to obey the Lord and uh, do what He is leading us to do. Well, so good to be here this morning to be able to open up God's word with you. I trust that the Lord is helping you find victory in Jesus Christ. Because as we say at Freedom at Last, we've started that ministry. We had our third meeting on Friday night. And I just want to thank you for praying for that ministry. Uh, I know many of you uh, have uh, prayed for uh, the work there, uh, not able to attend and and but but you pray for it. So please keep it before the Lord and and God is continuing to bless it. But the motto of freedom that last is it says that uh, the only source of true and lasting freedom is found in Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to find freedom, ladies and gentlemen. It is in him. And so I just love the fact that as we begin our ministry, even over the weekend, that's what we're emphasizing. That's what we emphasize this morning as well. And we're going to trust him to do his work. Sam, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm not sure what that is. I got the lapel on, but uh, but just just want to see how I can not hear myself. OK, <laughs> that's bad. And you have to hear myself. But uh, you have to hear me. But that's all right. All right. That's OK. I want you to hear me. But uh, but nevertheless, uh, we are thankful for what the Lord's doing in that ministry. Uh, it, it was just a, been a sweet spirit. Brother Christian Heiss is our director. He's doing a good job. We got several volunteers that are coming faithfully. And uh, I, I thank God for them. Thank you for providing meals uh, this past week. Uh, we had uh, Nathan and Brandy Brewer uh, provide the Friday night meal. and It was delicious. I enjoyed every bite of it and uh, in, enjoyed. Thank you for doing that. And so the people were fed spiritually and physically. And uh, and we rejoiced in that. But if you have your Bibles there in Nehemiah chapter three, you should be there by now. Uh, Nehemiah chapter three. We're going to continue talking about the gates that Nehemiah is rebuilding. Notice I said rebuilding. Uh, they were once there in, in great strength until they were taken and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon. And it, the city was in ruins. Uh, up until this point, we realize that Nehemiah has got the vision and the burden as a result of hearing the news about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he got the call of God and he's being faithful. You remember, he, he sought the, the, the 
the king of kings first in prayer. And then he approached the king there and of Persia. And uh, he went and, and, uh, and sought the king and got his favor after being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the power of God on his life. He uh, just basically put himself on the altar and God blessed him. And now he's gathered the people there. He's arrived. He did the he did the survey trip and they're beginning to start working. He's got the people on board. Uh, he said, let us uh, uh, rise up. Let us build the wall. And the people said, let us rise. But I do um, I do appreciate the difference. Though I, I probably want to correct myself right there. When Nehemiah said it, he said this. He said, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem so that we won't be any more a reproach and embarrassment because they had given up. Right. The place was it looked pitiful and it was a sour, poor testimony for Jesus Christ. And, and so he said, look, let's build this wall, rebuild it. And I love their response. They didn't use the same exact wording. It was very close. But if you'll notice one difference in their response, it's seen there in verse number 18. It says, and they said, let us, what's that word? In verse 18 of chapter 2, he says in response to them uh, building up the wall, he said that we may not be any more reproach. He said the hand of God is good upon me. And the king said we could do it. And then they said, let us what? Rise. In other words, they'd been sitting, doing nothing. And Nehemiah is given the call of God and, and expressed that. And boy, they said, we're going to get off our backside and get to work. We're tired of being an embarrassment, a reproach for the, against, against our God. And we want to do this for the glory of God. So the temple... Has been uh, re- the altar has been restored the temple, but they need protection. They need that wall. They need that strength, and so they're going to start at this work. And we notice in chapter three they start naming the the groups that were coming together. Many were not named, uh, but but there was a great deal of work going on in chapter three. We notice that there are over forty groups that were mentioned. And how God is using everyone in a very specific way. And we talked about how similar that is to the local church. I'm glad every one of you are here this morning. You are needed. Your life is important to God. Your life is important to the local church. I'm thankful for you. And I trust that you will make it a habit, a practice, a discipline of your life to realize that you are needed uh, in the local church. Uh, to, to accomplish what God is calling us to do. Everybody has a part. Everybody's doing something. And it's beautiful. And we see all of this coming together in chapter 3. And that we're going to see that there's ten gates uh, that are mentioned. And we're giving, the, 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 I believe, the spiritual application to us today of what these gates signify. What do they mean uh, what kind of significance do they carry? And I believe God does have a lesson for us in each of them. I truly believe that. We saw the first one that they started going after was the sheep gate. Of course, that is the most important one. That's where the sheep will come in to be sacrificed. And of course, this is all, these are symbolic of the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. It speaks of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. 
You can't not have a foundation without or apart from Jesus Christ. He's the one you need. If you're here this morning and you're just looking for religion, you're just looking to turn a new leaf, I'm telling you, you, you that's not what you need. You need Jesus. You need to trust Him as your Savior for your sin. And then you'll get born again. You won't just turn a new leaf. You will be a new creation in Christ. It's beautiful. But nevertheless, we see the sheep gate. Is that where they emphasize the, the sacrifice? That even as believers, we ought to be a living sacrifice every day of our lives. And as one person has said, the one, the one thing that you've got to watch out for about a living sacrifice is a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that we need to make it a habit of staying on the altar. And if you're off this morning, just crawl on back. Let God be honored and glorified. We often have to do it. Amen. Just got to get back and being totally open. Well, there's the sheep gate. Then there was the fish gate. We talked about how the importance of being fishers of men and, and, and being as Jesus called us, those that are going to follow him. Then we moved in, in, into the evening service. Last Sunday night, I, I, I continued preaching. And that was in verse 6. We talked about the old gate. We talked about how we just need to stick to the old paths of preaching and praying and witnessing and, and being unified and worshiping together. We don't need to come up with new methods. We don't need to follow with the woke culture and be culturally acceptable. No, we need to just stand on the word of the living God. It's enough. It is enough. And we don't need to apologize for it. But one of the things we talked about that's so important is that we, take, we have conviction with compassion. Unfortunately, we got some Baptists and other Christians out there that give Christianity a bad name. Because they got the conviction part down real good. And there is a zero compassion. That's wrong. That's wrong. We need to have them both. We see that uh, demonstrated even in John chapter 1 where we need to be full of grace and truth. Full of them both. And that's what we... But we don't need to uh, bow down to what the culture says is appropriate or relevant. No, we're going to stick to the old book because it's just it's just as fresh and new as it was when it was written back in the time of Moses when he wrote the first five books of the word of God. Listen, we need to understand that God's word is sufficient. That's what we stand on. That's what we're going to preach and teach. And we're not going to cower and run. I know we will prevail because God's word says Jesus said himself that he will build his church. Amen? He's going to build it. Brinson's not going to build it. You're not going to build it. He's going to build it through us. We're channels. I'm not, I've not. i not been called to Crooked Creek Baptist Church to build this church. I've come to be an under-shepherd, to pastor you, to preach and teach and to love and to encourage and to pray for and disciple. But Jesus is going to build the church. I'm going to let him do it. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. I want to see the church grow. I want to see you grow in your Christian life. I want to see your roots go deeper and being rooted and grounded in the truth. That's what I desire. But God will build His church. And I am thankful for that. 
And, it, and then it says not only will he build it, but he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we talked about in the evening service, and I just want to repeat it because I, I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to. That simply means this. We're not just on the defense. Now, we ought to defend the faith. Jude tells us about that, right? We ought to stand up for what we believe. Stand up for the Lord. Stand up for the truth. We ought to do that. But I'm going to tell you what this is teaching us here. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it means that when we're going into Satan's territory, his gates will not be able to stand. They're going to get knocked down. We're going to be able to bust through them because Jesus is building the church. And it's time for us to get some more boldness, some more confidence, that we're not just sitting back and waiting until Jesus comes. My friends, we're on the offense. We're moving down the field, brother. We're moving down the field. We're going down because we were not only born again, but thank God we were born to win. Because we're on the winning side. Do you see yourself on the winning side this morning? Hey, you'll be a different person when you realize that by faith. A lot of Christians walk around this world as if they're on the losing side. You're on the winning side. Hey, praise God for that. We see that there was the, the old gate. We see that there was the valley gate that speaks of the trials that the Christian will go through. But God sees us through them. How the valley does a purging in our hearts. It does a, 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 a truly uh, transformative work in our lives. And it gets all that dross out of there. And, and God does a great work in the valleys of our life. And then we talked about the dung gate. That's where all the waste of the city is taken and delivered out in, in the valley. And that is a, a symbolic of how we come to God uh, daily with, with our trash called sin. And we confess it and we, we give it to Him and He takes it and cleanses us. Amen? As Christians, I come to God. Thank God I don't have to go to some booth in a church and talk to somebody I don't know or I've never seen and tell them about my, all my sin. No, I have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. And I go to Him daily saying, Lord, You know, You know, I, Lord, I, I should not have said that. I should not have done that. God, forgive me. I agree with You that what I did was sin. And He cleanses. He renews. And God blesses. We get rid of that waste in our lives. Don't walk around with the trash in your heart and in your mind and your life. It'll hinder you. And we understand that, that God gives us that great freedom to confess and that command to confess. We talked about, secondly, the gate of the fountain, speaking of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And how out of our life will flow rivers of living water. And your life will be an example of, of, the, of giving life. Listen, you want your life, you want your life to give life. Things that are alive reproduce. And you want your life to give life to others. Jesus living through you. And so your life will produce life. 
because of the Holy Spirit of God on your life. You being anointed. You being uh, just uh, blessed of God because you're walking with Him. Listen, all these things are pointing to the walls that God is calling us to build in our life. You see, there's the gates. Because the gates were the most important part of the city as the enemy would try to find that open area to penetrate. But these things need to be true in the Christian's life so when the enemy gets to the gate, he'll realize there's a fortress there. There's a, there's a gate that is empowered and, and strengthened by God Almighty. There's the gate of the fountain. And then there's the water gate found in verse 26. We talked about that this is symbolic of the Word of God in our lives. How important it is to have the Word of God and have it uh, truly uh, as, an, as a priority in our lives. The Word of God. That's where the power is going to be as we quote Scripture, as we submit to Scripture, as we live out the Word of God, as we submit ourselves to this book. You're, you're submitting to the Bible this morning. You, the Bible says, forsaking not yourselves uh, and meet, assembling together for such as some is. And even as the day is approaching, the day of the Lord, you're saying, I believe that I'm coming to the local church and assemble with the with the brethren and submit my heart to the word of God and to be here to be fed and strengthened by the word of God to encourage each other. That's what you're doing this morning. But then we get to verse 28. Notice this eighth gate. The eighth gate that is mentioned here is we have from above, which says the horse gate repaired the repaired the priest, everyone over against the house. Now, this right here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'd like to preach on for the next few moments. It says here from above the horse gate. Repaired the priest. That means that's what the priest worked on. Everyone over against his house. So I'm going to take the next 20 minutes here. And I'm going to seek to preach a message to you. Entitled, The Horse Gate. Spiritual Warfare. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I need you this morning to be concise, to be clear. But Lord, to be controlled by the Holy Ghost. I pray for that anointing. I just, Lord, recognize I'm just a messenger boy this morning. I'm just a servant of the Most High. I pray for these precious people before me, those that are lost. I pray they'll get saved. I pray they get born again. And those that are saved and backslidden, I pray they would have revival and be set free this morning. God, just have your will and way, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, I do ask it. Amen. The horse gate. The horse gate, I believe, is speaking of warfare. Now, the horse gate was close to the king's stables there around the wall. And the men of Jerusalem would ride their horses out of this gate when going to war. In fact, it was at this gate that David numbered the, the, his soldiers and, and, and made sure that all his, his companies were in order. Uh, his soldiers, his generals were in order and in, in, in order for them to go out and have victory. You know, horse, horses are spoken of often in the word of God and in the context of war. Even our Savior himself, when he comes back in the second coming, 
that, hey, that's after the tribulation. And he comes back with the bride, with his bride and comes back with his people. The Bible says in Revelation 19:11, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. He says, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness does he judge and make war. And I could give you so many other examples of how when we think of the when we see the context of horses in Scripture, it speaks of battle, of wartime. And, and my friends, I do believe this is a reminder to us that we are in a war. We are in a war. It's a spiritual war. It's dark. It's diabolical. It's deadly. And my friends, it's dirty because the devil never plays fair. You could even call it a, as Brother Adrian Rogers said, a form of guerrilla warfare. It's a war between light and darkness, good and evil, heaven and hell, Christ and Satan. And I want to say here this morning... And this is a quote from Brother Rogers. He says, whether you realize it or not, you are part of that war. You cannot afford to be ignorant and you cannot possibly be neutral. If you try to be neutral, you're going to find yourself in the crossfire and in the most dangerous place of all. You dare not, I say, be ignorant. You must not endeavor to be neutral. So here this morning, you have to determine what side are you going to fight on? Because if you're in the middle, you're in the worst place possible. You're in the crossfire. And I believe that it would be equivalent to us saying, like, if, as far as America is concerned, you would say, listen, as, an, as the American military, the U.S. military is fighting overseas. And then let's just say Al Qaeda, for instance, which is seem to be ramping back up over in Afghanistan. But nevertheless, you got you got Al-Qaeda, which is the enemy. And then you have the American military, which we are Americans. So we if we were fighting, we would fight on their side. It'd be like someone saying, look, you got to choose which side you're going to be on. Are you going to stay with the United States military and fight for your country? Or are you going to go over into Al-Qaeda and start fighting with them? There, there, there's no neutral ground. We have to choose one or the other in spiritual warfare. And my encouragement to you today is to choose Christ. Choose the good fight. He says it's a good fight in Timothy. He says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Lord is wanting us to step up. And I want to close out this message with uh, having you turn to the, to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Would you turn there with me for a moment? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Please mark this down. If, if you're not familiar with this chapter, this is a classic passage on spiritual warfare. I, I believe probably one of the best. Uh, I would say not best. That's probably not a good one. Maybe the clearest uh, in, in the New Testament. There are others for sure. Of spiritual warfare. Because that's what the Bible is. It's talking about the, 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 the war of good and evil. 
It's what the Bible is. And it praise God, it tells us who wins. Amen. Amen. We know who wins, but right now we're in the battle. But we fight from a position of victory. And that because we know the end, we know how it ends. If you've read the book of Revelation, we know we're on the winning side. So, but nevertheless, notice Ephesians chapter 6. And notice here in verse number 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, here we go. He's going to explain why. That, or so that, ye may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he goes to say, wherefore, because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's the first piece that's mentioned here of the armor and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the second piece and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's your third one. And then above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There's your fifth piece. Then verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's your last two pieces mentioned and the armor of God. That is how we're going to fight, brethren. Do you have your armor on today? Do you have it on every day? I believe one of the one of the strategies of Satan is to convince this world that he doesn't exist. Not that just God doesn't exist, but he wants to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And that's why you see in the world philosophy, really, he's a laughable character. The way Hollywood treats him, even the way, you know, and I'm not being critical because I call him this too, but even the way we use the word devil. I mean, deviled eggs. <laughs> so Somebody came up with a new name with those. I can't remember what it was. We ought to call them angel eggs or something, but they're good. But, you know, you know, uh, we 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 use uh, devil and deacons uh, even for teams and stuff and 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 of course the world paints him as uh, this this red dude with red pajamas and a pitchfork. Yeah, that's kind of how they portray him. It's almost a laughable character. Ha ha. Yeah, right. It's, it's just a bunch of fantasy talk about the devil. You know, they just, that's, what, that's how the world looks at the devil. But I want to tell you, when the world looks at it that way and, and lures the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of God, to fall into that same trap, I want to tell you, he's going to win. We can't look at him as a laughing matter. He's not a laughing matter. He's to t- be taken very seriously. Because no doubt about it, each one in this room is facing some kind of satanic oppression. Somebody, listen, somebody in this room has fallen for those lures, fallen for the bait, 
And perhaps he's even got you trapped as a believer. Perhaps he's got you hooked as a believer and perhaps even in bondage. And perhaps he's got someone here that's without Christ. He's got you deceived in thinking that you're okay, thinking that you don't need the gospel, thinking that, you know, Christian terms, you've went to church and you're okay. You don't need to be born again. That's what he does. He deceives. He discourages. He divides. Listen, that's his work. And he's and he's he's very real. Now, I will say this. You know, we got to be careful. We got to be careful, don't we? There's balance in this. The devil's not behind every bush. And I say that because this the devil is not omnipresent. He is a he is a very high powerful. He's a high powered angel. He's a he's 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 super intelligent. He is able to do miracles. He is able uh, to deceive and persuade. He he is uh, the king of at persuasion and deception. So he he is that, but he can only be at one place at a time. Now he does have an army of demons. We do not know how many, but I, you can you can by reading scripture and even in the New Testament when Jesus gives reference to the legions of angels, there are. Hundreds and thousands of fallen angels because uh, we know that in heaven there were multitudes, perhaps even millions as far as we know. We don't know for sure, but those demons have been spread out all over this world. They have their territories and they are seeking to influence. If they can't possess a believer, which they cannot enter in and possess you as a believer, they can still oppress you. They can still influence you. They can still deceive you. When we give in to the flesh in our own way, that's what they work off of. They work off our old nature when we give in to our flesh. That's what they build off of. That's why the Bible says, if, if you uh, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's so important that we understand that this is a spiritual warfare. It's not about just checking off a list of I've been good or bad. It's No, it's not about that. It's about being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the king. He's my king. He's the one I serve. I don't serve the kingdom of darkness. I serve the kingdom of light. That's Jesus Christ. So even as Pastor William Ramsey said in 1856, noted what he said. Spiritualism, a satanic delusion and a sign of the times, his book he wrote, he said this, one of the most striking proofs of the personal existence of Satan, which our times afford us, is found in the fact that he has so influenced the minds of multitudes in reference to his existence and doings as to make them behave that he does not exist, believe, excuse me, that he does not exist, and that the host of demons or evil spirits over whom Satan presides as the prince, are not only the fantasies of the brain, some hallucination of mind. Could we have a stronger proof of the existence of a mind so mighty as to produce such results? Again, his, his tactic is to distract. His tactic is to deceive. His tactic is to divide. His tactic is to destroy. You see... The devil comes at us and he uses his demons many times to do it. And I hope that this morning, as you're sitting in this service, 
would recognize that if you are feeling in bondage or oppressed, torn, you need to realize spiritual warfare. And you can be ready to fight it. You can be ready with the whole armor of God to fight it every day and to fight from a position of victory. He'll come at you. He'll use the things in your life where you are most vulnerable. It might be loneliness, could be depression, could be bitterness, it could be lust, pride, jealousy, envy, worry. Any of those things He will use to stop you from being effective for the kingdom of God. You see, the temptation, even with Jesus, came after His victory. And you may have just went through a season of victory. <laughs> you may have just experienced, man, God's working in my life. And, man, things are going well. And then, boom! That happens. When you have, as one preacher said, and you have the approval of heaven, you're going, you're going to have the assault of hell. But I'm telling you right now, as far as I'm concerned, I'd much rather be an enemy of the devil than a friend of him. Sign me up to be an enemy. If it means losing my life, if it seems getting knocked down every day by his attacks, may God's grace help me to stand back up. But I want to die as an enemy of the wicked one. I don't want him to control my life. I don't want him to, to, to change my heart and mind about who God is and who God says I am and what God's doing in my life and the way he's leading me. I want to, I want to be, I want to die on the Lord's side. Even if I go down fighting, I want to go down fighting for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want to go down worshiping Jesus Christ. And that's where the church needs to be. You notice I said, I want to. I don't always. But I want to. And I pray that God will help each of us see the importance of not falling for His tactics. He says here, in the whole armor of God, He says, take a stand. Choose what side you're going to be on. Because the battle is raging. The battle is raging all around us. And we need to recognize it, brethren. We can't stick our head in the sand and pretend that we're going to be able to keep on doing what we're doing without realizing we got to step it up. We have got to step it up as God's children. How do we step it up? Well, we realize that we have to, we're on the offense. So we continue growing in our love for Jesus and His Word, for the work of His Spirit in our lives. That's why we come to church. The church is the huddle. We come here, we get to meet four times a week, and we have a huddle. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we encourage each other, and then we're back out there. We're back out there where where the devil's fighting, and he's building strongholds, and we're going and tearing them down by by the power of Jesus Christ. You say, boy, that sounds mighty arrogant or... Are boastful. No, listen, I just know that the Bible says that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And the Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And I'm just going to stand on the authority of the word of God. I'm not trying to fight the devil. I'm going to let God fight him. 
But I'm telling you what, we're going to go forward as a church. You families are probably experiencing spiritual warfare. We start stepping up, my friends, and starting things like freedom that lasts. And we're seeking to make an eternal difference by going out into our, our community. And we're trying to make a difference. And we're starting to get on our knees more. There's rumblings of revival going in our church. Hey, you better believe Satan's going to bring on the arsenal. And I just say, oh, God, you got him. You got him, Lord. I yield to you, Lord. Help us to keep on pressing forward. You see, the horse gate there with Nehemiah, it it speaks of warfare. Oh, Lester Roloff, a great preacher of the past, used to sing a song about, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. And I pray and trust that there'll be some Christians this morning that will say, I have been on the wrong side or I've been in the middle. And I pray there'll be some Christians this morning to say, Lord, I'm on your side. Every ounce of my being, Lord, from the top of my head to the tip of my toes... God, it's yours. And I'm ready, Lord, to be used of you. I want to go forward in spiritual warfare. And may the Lord help us. Tonight, I'm going to continue the message. But I want to stop right here and say, we got to make a decision. What side are you going to be on? Stop being in the middle. Certainly, I pray that there's nobody on the other side. If you're without Christ, you are on the other side. You are an enemy of God, the Bible says. But I got good news for you. Oh, I love this. This makes me want to get Pentecostal. Jesus died for his enemies. You may be here lost. You're on your way to a devil's hell, the lake of fire, unless you turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, you may be an enemy of God, but you can quickly become His child. You can quickly become His friend by saying, God, I'm tired of playing. This ain't about religion. This ain't about just putting on some good, doing some good things, getting morally revived. No, this is about you coming to God with your wicked heart and saying, God, save me. You believe that He died for you. He was buried and rose again the third day. You believe that in your heart. He'll save you. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. He'll save you. You might be the best church member in this this church. Crooked Creek Baptist Church. You might be the best person in this room. You're here every time the doors are open. You're here doing whatever. You might be a leader. You could be a teacher. You could be any of those things and still be lost as all get out because you are not saved by faithful church attendance. That's why deacons have been saved. That's why pastors have been saved and Sunday school teachers have been saved. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts and and shows people, look, you've never been born again. You've been you've been dependent on your works for your salvation. And you just need to say, dear God, I need to be saved before it's eternally too late. And then Christians, I trust that this morning you'll say, Lord, as much as I know how, I want to be all in, fully engaged in spiritual warfare for your glory. 
I love this little song. I don't know who wrote it or who came up with it. But it's talking about greater is the Lord in me than he that is in this world. I think you ought to learn it. I think you ought to sing it. In fact, y'all want to learn it right now? I figured you did. Let's do it. I'll sing it first, and then those of you who know it can sing it with me. <clears throat> greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. See, greater is the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in me for spiritual warfare than he that is in this world. We fight from victory because of who we are in and who is in us. Let's sing it together. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Father, I pray that you'd help us to reckon that to be true.